Warning, Weird West Radio contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. to another episode of Weird West Radio, Rain Man Digital's exclusive Western show where we cover all things Western with an emphasis on the Weird West. Now, today I'm in the studio with David Sabal. Hello. Hello there, everybody. And in this episode, we're going to be discussing and breaking down the 2020 to finish World War II hyper-violent spaghetti Western-style film, <laughs> Sisu. That's a mouthful, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. With a running time of one hour and 31 minutes and a reported budget, a reported meager budget of $6.5 million, My God, dude. This movie is sure to entertain the most easily bored. Oh, Easily. Sizu is written and directed by Yamari Helander. The film is set in Finnish Lapland during World War II and follows a former legendary Finnish commando and gold prospector who attempts to secure his gold and defend himself from a German death squad led <laughs> by a brutal SS officer. The film stars Yarma Tamila. Now, I'm going to really mess up names because today. Because you're dealing with Finnish language. Yes. And I know the J is pronounced like, yeah. So yeah. that's the only thing I got right so far, I think. But I'm sure if we have some foreign listeners out there, listeners from out of our country, they will correct me. And please do so. So the film stars Yarma, Tamila, Axel, Annie, Jack Doolin, Mimosa Willamo, and Ani Tamila. The synopsis, when an ex-soldier who discovers gold in Lapland Wilderness tries to take the loot into the city... Nazi soldiers led by a brutal SS officer, they battle it out. All right. So there may be some listeners, David, that are curious and wondering why we're covering a World War II film. Well, just like the intro I just went through had insinuated, it is without a doubt a spaghetti Western. Yes. 
I mean, yes, technically what makes a spaghetti Western is the simple fact that it's produced by the Italian cinema, right? For the most part, obviously Euro, Euro Westerns in general were, were produced by various Euro countries. You know, Germany was a big one, Spain, Italy. However, most of them have always been put under the spaghetti Western banner. And even though I could say this is a Euro Western, which would be accurate. It would be also accurate to say this was made in the vein of the spaghetti Western. Absolutely. I mean, if you watch Sisu and you get the vibes, especially thematically, when you're dealing with the theme of gold, I mean, that in itself is like something that is a stereotypical spaghetti Western element. The idea of greed, the idea of fortune in the, in the unkept wilds of the West. And Sisu essentially is a war film. It, it, it's labeled as a war film, but the filmmaking and the, 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 the creativity behind it takes homages from spaghetti Western elements from spaghetti Western themes and when you see some of the shots that he do in this scene, in, in this movie, you're like going, yeah, this is more like a Western than anything else that more, more so than a war film. Yeah, for sure. And I will say, David, just right out the gate that I really enjoyed this film. When I first <laughs> saw the trailer, the film had already been released. Yes. I was fortunate enough to catch it in the theater because the moment I saw the trailer, I did a quick search on the interwebs to see if it was still playing in my local theaters. And it was. And I went that night to the theater to see. It. And I'm glad I did because yeah. it is one of those films that I feel must be seen on the big screen. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And like my my experience with Sisu is almost like yours. The only reason why I knew about the film was I was randomly watching a YouTube video Uh and in the middle of the YouTube video was a trailer for Sisu. That was the only time I've ever seen marketing on this film Yeah, was through streaming like in YouTube or Facebook where they do their, their ads. And as soon as I saw this trailer, I'm like going, why isn't anyone else talking about this film? It's done by the guy, the, the studio that's behind John Wick, number one. A, a bit. It's yeah, a, a bit. They distributed it, but yeah, they didn't really have any creative say so. But the fact of the matter is when they put that in the trailer, yeah. automatically I should be on this film mm-hmm. because John Wick is a amazing franchise. Uh, very popular. Very popular and it's very mainstream right now. And it's like, okay, why isn't anyone talking about this film? And then just like you, I was lucky enough to see this in the theater as well because I I took actually a day off and what a slacker. And I just basically said, I'm gonna check out Sisu because during this time, this was like when theaters were barely coming back. And I remember the theater I went to was empty watching Sisu. And I'm like going, This movie needed to audiences needed to watch this film because I'm going to come out right now and say the last four years, this is my number one favorite action film. I mean, like it's, it's a great standalone action film that makes me so happy that basically you don't see this very much often. If you see an action film like this suddenly becomes a franchise a la John wick. Yeah. 
Here, this was a standalone action film done high quality. Yeah, it's a foreign film, but my God, I think that American audiences would have ate this movie up. They did, for the most part, the ones who saw the who film. Who saw the film. This film did resonate within critical circles. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of critical praise for the film. I believe it's sitting at like a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. So it's the, amazing, yeah. So the film was reviewed favorably by both mainstream critics as well as audiences. Now, just to continue your thought earlier, it is a war film, but it is written as a Western. Its themes... Use of iconography and other genre conventions are taken from the Western, more specifically the Euro Westerns of the 1960s and late 1970s. If we were to take an even closer look at the director's intent and use of these genre norms, we can see that this film veers into the same aesthetic lane as the spaghetti Westerns Mm -hmm. with the use of gold, as you mentioned, blood. And revenge. <laughs> yes. As well as other variant archetypal signatures like a silent, the, a silent protagonist, the silent protagonist, the cackling hyena like baddies. Yes. Which is very common in spaghetti westerns. The use of narrative space or the implied diegesis all lend themselves to the components of a spaghetti western reality or story world. So. That's the setup. David, give me your initial thoughts in a nutshell. My initial thoughts of this was this is an absolute hidden gem of a film uh, for the past five years. I know that like what you said, now it's like critically acclaimed and a lot of people are talking highly about it. Mm -hmm. But that moment to me just stood out the most when I first saw it and the theater was just empty. No one talked about the film for maybe about a good month till after I saw it when it was opening. And it really showed that basically, man, word of mouth, word of mouth is the what what made this movie so good. It was very popular in film circles, meaning film cinephiles, uh, filmmakers. In fact, that's how I heard about it. I believe if I remember correctly, one of my film friends actually sent me no no no. it was one of our listeners that's what it was it that was one you. of our listeners that sent me the trailer and said i think this is your type of thing tell me if i'm right and within 30 seconds of that trailer i'm like you're right <laughs> <laughs> because it, it and it's also it's one of those films that basically really does one of the things that I really love about it is the fact that it is a standalone film. It's the type of film that you don't need to actually think there's another sequel or another franchise in it. It's a classic shoot 'em up type of action film that I think people in that people take, you know, don't take that genre seriously anymore. Everyone thinks about like superheroes and franchise and star Wars and star Trek and all the major franchises that supposedly make lots and lots of money. Right. The fact of the matter is just like what you pointed out earlier, this film was made for 6 million. I think you said, I believe so. Yeah. And think about it. The quality we got in this film compared to like some, some of the films just this past year that spent, Probably hundreds more. It goes to show you that there really is so much waste 
when it comes to the Hollywood pictures, like how much money they just throw. They just throw. When and there's it, really no reason for it. Yeah. And it, it, and it comes down to, you know, I'm not, I don't want to say that basically, well, there is a lack of craftsmanship in Hollywood right now when it comes to filmmaking. But when you see a film like this and you, if I was an executive, I'd be like going, wait a minute, you mean to tell me these guys out in Finland were able to pull off this action film and it only cost them $6 million. And I'm looking over here and I'm spending a hundred to 200 million to make a film. Yeah. Well, yeah, I would say if this was made in the Hollywood system, you're probably looking at more like 25, 30 million, maybe oh, even higher. more. It's got to be higher. It's got to be in the 60s or 70s. Possibly. Think of, I mean, think after John Wick distribution, PA, yeah. Yeah, because advertise me. Yeah. If you think about how the, how the system's now set up, major action films, I mean, look, look what happened to John Wick. John Wick was a small film at first, but then it exploded. After that first film. Yeah. And like, I guarantee you, if Sisu was released out here in the States with a, an American audience done in the American system. With those, would, with those large inflated star salaries yeah, as well. We would see yeah. like multiple Sisu films. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. I get what you're <laughs> saying. Yeah. All right. So just to give a little bit more historical context as it pertains to film. This film is written as a bit of a an homage to B films. In fact, I would consider oh, yeah. it a contemporary B film that aspires to rejuvenate the mood of the midnight film, which refers to a specific subculture of cinema that emerged and was very popular in the 1960s and the 70s, which was a golden age for for these types of movies, for these cult classics. Oh, yeah. I might even label this film an exploitation film because of its content, you know, graphic violence and the way in which the film was presented. Yeah, especially since, you know, like, technically the, the dialogue of the characters is not historically accurate. The dialogue of the, of the characters are done more like, you know, today's, type of language which is also very much exploitation well also just the spaghetti westerns and oftentimes euro westerns in general were anachronistic that's a good point yeah yeah you know where there was certain things that obviously didn't belong in the west <laughs> yes. because they weren't telling an american western story they weren't looking at creating uh a historically accurate piece that would continue to build upon this so-called American identity mm -hmm. that was formed from the American Western. These were their own way looks into, in a lot of ways, into American society oftentimes. Yeah. And sometimes they would use aspects from the American Western, certain, you know, motifs. techniques, themes, motifs, oftentimes as a way to displace political aspects so mm -hmm. that they can speak to their own culture. So those types of things are very common in these types of movies. And if people get mad at, which they do, you oh, know, they do. people it's get easy. mad at historical inaccuracies, but you got to remember these aren't documentaries and these aren't news pieces. These are fictional 
films, fictional stories based on history mm -hmm. or historical aspects or historic historical moments. Well, even take that even further is kind of like one of the things I've always noticed that me and you have always touched on. And when we cover spaghetti Westerns, it isn't even about cultural implications. Sometimes it's just those Westerns they did that are done in spaghetti Westerns go down to just human nature. It's almost like they'll focus in on one aspect of human nature, whether it's greed um, sex, violence, um, pride, any, anything that goes down to the baser instincts of hum humanity. Spaghetti Westerns, those movies kind of like tailor their story to that concept. Yeah. Like in, in regards to Sisu, Sisu's is all about greed. It's about the greed for gold. What a person would do for gold uh, or for, for fortune. How far would he go? And, you know, take that to the extreme. That's where the exploitation comes in. And if you take a look at other Westerns, spaghetti Westerns out there, say like the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good, the bad, and the ugly is a, is a story about greed. When you take a look at it, it is those three characters are tied by one base human nature. To, to a degree. It's to also a, degree. a story about... You know, a war, war, and stuff like that. But like one of the threads that can, that connect them, yeah. as characters, is this drive for gold. Yeah, and well, that's where the lines begin to get blurred with exactly. these with these types of films when introducing the concept of the exploitation film. Because generally, these movies were also B films, mm -hmm. except they typically exploited niche genres, lured you know, lured content. Uh, and current trends and often gained a cult following something that this seems to have garnered this movie in itself. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about exploitation cinema, the beef film, the spaghetti Western, the Euro Western, all of it just meshes together pretty much under one umbrella in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I do believe that exploitation films and movies like this get an unfair rap when it comes to criti criticisms oh, within yeah. certain critical circles. I feel like some critics definitely understand and appreciate this avenue of cinema mm -hmm. and they judge it based on what it is, what it's uh, attempting to convey and be. And then there are some that just simply don't care or they just do not get it. Exactly. That's it. They don't understand the genre. Yeah. That's no doubt another reason why I like this film, because the director is obviously fond of the grindhouse drive-in <laughs> style cinema yes. from the 60s and 70s. But instead of just giving us a schlocky B film that was reminiscent of a bygone era, Hellander delivered a film that incorporated cinephilic trappings, but was also a critical success, as we have been saying. Mm-hmm. With the film mostly being praised by legitimate mainstream critics, which is a rarity. Oh, absolutely. That's what surprised me, actually, as months went on and Sisu started gaining traction. It was slow at first because, you know, whether you want to blame that on marketing or anything, but as soon as, like, critics started actually rolling in on this movie, everyone was really positive about it. And I think that it's twofold. Sisu, came, Sisu has come at a time 
when I think the audience is starving for something unique. We want something unique. We want something fun, but we also want something slightly familiar. Yeah. Which is what's great with these types of movies. I mean, and not to get overly into some of the film theory aspects. We don't have time for that in today's discussion. There's also a lot of metaphor here. There's a lot of cinematography that's very meaningful. There's things that are being stated. And that's another reason why critics probably connected with this film because it isn't just your run-of-the-mill action film which the the people who the mainstream audiences who love this film that's pretty much what they enjoy they're like all right some violence some um action uh, a glorious bloody battle at the end yes. uh, a grand finale of exuberant proportions but the the cinephiles and the mainstream critics the ones who have that interpretive lens, you know, that know how to really see what the movie is actually doing. There's so much more going on in this type of movie. There's things being said. There are things that are being stated culturally. Uh, there's a lot of sociological significance as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about the term, for example, the the name of the movie itself, Sizu. The title term is actually a Finnish concept of will and the termination. Yes. And we see that scene after scene as the one famed Finnish killer terminates Nazi soldiers continually throughout the waning days of World War II. We see that. But also, if you look this up, this word up, and read about it, and the director himself did a lot of interviews, and a lot of people had this, you know, similar questions. What does the name mean? And he goes in detail about this word and how it, in a lot of ways, is a rallying call for the Finnish people. It's a word that encapsulates, in a lot of ways, their culture. It's almost like a way that highlights... mm, What's the word I'm looking for? It's a word that is used to identify a national identity. Yes. Because like the whole point for the Finnish concept, when it, when you translate the word, when you translate the word Sisu from Finnish to English, it's, it has a unique, what they call a unique concept meaning of strength, will, determination, and perseverance. Yeah. Which is supposed to imply to the Finnish people, Finnish culture. Because when you look at, you know, the Finnish Finnish society, they grew up in a, in a area that is inhospitable. Mm -hmm. It is harsh. And it is like, how did humanity live up there? Well, it was because of their Sisu, their will and determination and perseverance that let them thrive in that, that biome. Yeah. And I love the fact that basically I read one of the interviews you were talking, that you alluded to that the director gave, and it makes sense to me more now with the hyper action, hyper violence, especially when you take it into ideas of the scene where he, they let the loose, the dogs on him Mm -hmm. and he lights himself on fire and runs to the lake. Mm -hmm. Will perseverance and strength. Yeah. That is what that character embodies. In a lot of ways, he is simply a vessel for this Finnish spirit spirit. You know, he's simply the embodiment of 
the Sisu concept. Yeah. I would even say in my own interpretation, he is dead. He died a long time ago. Yes. And he's simply the, the lingering echo of this perseverance. Perseverance. Yeah. And it, it says a lot because like when you get to the ending, the ending is so freaking awesome because it really does encapsulate the meaning of Sisu yeah. of will and determination when he gets to the bank. And for the, and think about it. But listen, the man had one mission. Yeah. And he never had deviated. One mission. Never deviated from it. <laughs> that was one of my favorite and parts of the movie when he shows up to the bank. Dude did not forget his original goal yeah. whatsoever. And all and you realize he only wanted to get to the bank to change the the gold into bills so it'd be easier to carry. And I'm like going, that is genius. It it really encapsulates that theme of will and perseverance, of determination. Yeah. When you set your mind to a goal, you stick to it to the very end. And I like the, the, the amazing thing that I've found actually seeing the, the reception of this film was like seeing the difference of reception between critics and mass audiences. Like I have a lot of mass audience friends who finally saw Sisu and they said, man, that was a fun ass action film. And they just see it for the bang, bang concepts. Which that, is fine. Which right? is fine. Yeah. yeah. And, and they get a heck of a ride out of it and they enjoy it. These, but these are the best types of movies though. Exactly. That because can be super fit. That can be enjoyed in a superficial sense, but can, but can also feed that critic in you, the, the intellectual side of certain viewers, something yeah. where there's more depth because the movie does have a lot of depth. And think about it, Mike. Is there an action film? The reason why I tell people this is my number one action film of the past five years. Is there any other action film where you see that? Where basically even critics no. and mass audiences look at each other and say, unanimously, yeah. just say, this is a really good film. <laughs> yeah, well, yes, I agree. And the reason why this movie is so much more than just its simple action components and I say simple, not as a negative, no, 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 but just because there's more to it than simply bang, bang, bloody violence. Certainly that's a crowd pleaser for those individuals that like those types of things. But mm -hmm. when you compare this to a movie like John Wick, since that is definitely been the go-to comparison for a lot of people because it was distributed by the same studio. Yeah. The, the patient, the pacing of action in a movie like John Wick is both swift and prolonged with extended action sequences. Yes. Similarly, Sizu maintains a comparable tempo in his action scenes, all while innovatively executing its choreography. Yes. The choreography is impeccably executed, whether it's knife fights or action on a moving tank. The stunt coordinator ingeniously integrates combat as a genuine driver of the narrative. Yeah. Rather than merely employing it for the sake of action, many films tend to use such scenes to fill screen time without actually adding any real emotional depth. Mm -hmm. It's a rarity to find a film like Sizu that values his action and uses it as a storytelling tool, not just as a crowd pleaser, but as a way to communicate. It's interesting when a film utilizes violence in such a way because the lead character doesn't talk much at all. Like a true 
Sergio Leone protagonist. Mm -hmm. So his reactions or the way he responds to the antagonistical Nazis is in itself a form of language for the audience to ingest. Yes. The action is so carefully choreographed and the directing so concise that there is no need to interpret motive. The pacing of action in a movie like John Wick, as I said, yes, is, is swift. It's It's prolonged. It's fluid. But the action itself in this movie is its own unique communicative device. We have a character that doesn't talk much, which is very much in the same vein as a Sergio Leone protagonist. Yeah. And his response or reactions to the Nazis is a language in itself. In itself. It's how the protagonist conveys exactly how he feels. Mm-hmm. Also, the lead actor, Yarma Tamila's body language and the way in which he emotes goes a long way to sub for actual dialogue. Mm-hmm. Also, the narrative's lexicon is not linguistic, but kinetic. And the fact that he's unstoppable satisfies the inspirational context of the title of the film, Strong Will and Unrelenting Determination. See, that's the strength of this movie. Forget the, the blood and gore, which is awesome. But the fact that the kinetic is the, is the, the important language of the movie rather than the actual linguistics that we come to expect in movies, yeah. the actual verbal communication. There are so many ways to communicate meaning to an audience. Uh, in Western films, we typically get lost and stuck in this interplay Mm -hmm. character a says something character b reacts character a then counters character b then reacts to the counter or rebuttals Mm -hmm. but something that smaller films and foreign films oftentimes are willing to do is play around with the with the different aspects of language film is after all a visual medium yes so why be beholden to just one form of communication yeah exactly and that that is one of the things like in regards to like the the parallel to like movies like John Wick that's mm-hmm. where the parallel for the first movie of John Wick i think yes that is a great parallel because the the idea of this character reacting uh, out his emotions through his actions mm-hmm. fits the John Wick character. Like John Wick was a character who was built on depression and loss and grief. Mm-hmm. Sisu is a character built by determination, greed, and not greed in a bad way, but greed in a natural humanistic way and will. And like, it's amazing to watch two different actors take the type of acting that it takes where you don't use any dialogue. You're using your body language. You're looking, how do you look at the camera? How you react to a character? Um, what you do in an action? Do you show pain? Do you not show pain? Like in John Wick, Keanu Reeves shows pain when he gets hurt. Sisu, the difference would, uh, I can't pronounce the the actor's name properly. It's Yorma. Yorma. The, what Yorma does is like, and when he gets hit, he doesn't show any reaction. 
There's no pain. Why? Because he's the embodiment of will and determination. He's not going to slow down. So he's never going to show pain. He's a revenant. He's a revenant. That's what he comes off as. Like yeah. someone who died a long time ago and, and he just keeps and going. And he's a wandering spirit. Yeah. That's what it seems like to me, which says a lot about the era in which this film takes place. You're dealing with a time in history, almost like the the tail. Yeah, it literally is the tail end of the war. In fact, the Nazi yeah. death squad is fulfilling Hitler's final command, I believe, which was the scorch earth strategy. Come back home. We have lost. But on your way back, kill everything and destroy Everything. Everything. And I like the fact that basically like they they show that not only through like or kill everyone and destroy everything. There yeah. we go. They they not only show that through like dialogue and character development, but they show it visually. Visually through the characters. Like all the characters, even the Nazis look beat. They're grimy. They're dirty. It's like they're at their they're at their rope's end. Everyone's pretty much over it. Everyone's over it, yeah. And, like, they have this one last thing to hold on to, and they're willing to do whatever it takes, like any depravity, to hold on to their own ideals. And here comes Sisu, who is just the epitome of will and determination, saying, yeah, I know you're tired, but I'm going to go run right through you like a juggernaut, and you can't do anything about it. And it's like... That in itself is also something that I really enjoyed about the film because it was a fun seeing the villains really. There's something to be said about using villains in a way where they look helpless and you're cheering on their helplessness. Yeah. Because like we don't feel sorry for any of the Nazis in this film. Nazis are the best enemies to just have around because you can do whatever you want to them <laughs> exactly. and there's no cultural or like society societal repercussions. No one's going to wave a finger at you. Yeah, so, oh, like, how dare you? Oh, you're brutally murdering Nazis. <laughs> well, they're Nazis. <laughs> they're Nazis. Fuck them. <laughs> and, and it's like that was the beautiful thing is like when you when I rewatch this film, you realize that basically, yeah, the Nazis are portrayed as like they are at their rope's end. Yeah. They're done. They're donezo at this point, but it doesn't matter because they'll follow their, their, they'll follow their own will and determination or like their last final commands. Well, just like many of the, the Nazi agenda in a lot of ways was to pillage and steal wealth. Yes. Wherever they occupied, take the wealth, bring it back home. That's pretty much what they were doing. That's here what they too. were doing here. I mean, they were taking anything of value. They had an entire truck full of women that they were raping and abusing. And abusing. Then they noticed that Sizu had gold, so they tried to take <laughs> his gold. money. They were doing what a lot of these Twilight soldiers were doing we're during doing. World War II. You know, this is the end, and we don't give a fuck about anything. We have. No repercussions, even though the war is coming to an end, we're going to continue to do the shitty things that we do. Yeah. There's a lot of things documented in history where there were rogue groups. Imagine a rogue group. First off, the Nazis themselves were a rogue organization, or, just or, killing people indiscriminately. Yeah. But then you had a, you have rogue military factions within the Nazi, Nazi regime, regime as well. And now I've read tons of stories about these, not the death squads themselves, the but SS. these little SS groups that became splinter factions Yeah, that just didn't really follow orders or they kind of followed orders just so that they 
weren't brought up on any type of like watch list uh, or dereliction of duty charges. Yes, those, but they pretty much did whatever they wanted without any real repercussions. Because if you're fighting your enemy, you think Hitler's gonna be like, "Oh, come on, yes, don't do that." It, yeah, the guy w- wanted chaos. And that was the thing. Their their version of will and determination was that, right? <laughs> and like I don't think I, I like I like the fact that the whole idea of Sisu, if especially if the way the director points it, is it's a it's a homage to the Finnish people's will and determination against Germany in a lot of ways. Yeah. Because they wanted to they show they they wanted to show the Germans that we are a hard, we we are much more stronger people. Even though you beat us down, we're going to actually still, you know, rise above you. Yeah, and there <laughs> were people that were quick to point out that they don't understand why this movie was made because the Finnish people were just as guilty as the Nazis. Oh yeah. Like why would you make a movie where your hero is fighting against Nazis and he's a former Finnish soldier? War is complicated. I don't use that to justify the Nazis themselves, but a lot of countries did what they needed to do to survive and make sure their people survived. Mm -hmm. That's not me justifying atrocities. I'm just saying war is complicated. And to sit back retrospectively and point a finger to a specific culture and say, well, you, you did this, you did that. It's easy to be a revisionist. Well, it's easy to point fingers when you're outside of history. Yes. You know? So, all right, let's talk about writing. The narrative exhibited a commendable simplicity in its script. And that's a good thing. Aligning with a minimalist plot structure. That's a lost art. Oh, absolutely. The sim- simple stories doesn't necessarily equate to simple movies. Mm-hmm. That's the point here. The script's straightforwardness need not be deemed a limitation. Mm-hmm. Rather, it can be celebrated for its efficiency and capacity to manifest a succinct narrative framework. In this context, it becomes evident that the narrative depth transcends the confines of the script alone. When harmoniously coupled with emotional resonance, resonance, and a mosaic of creative intellectual dimensions, a story attains a multifaceted richness and complexity that can actually transcend the confines of its textual foundation. And that's what this movie did. Yes. It didn't just rely on the story, and that was that. You had a multifaceted skill set being brought to the forefront in this film you had the combination or the layering of cinematography of of sound of production design the art department the acting everything worked in tandem with the simplicity of the story to create an actual film that had far more depth than just its script if you were to review it alone or as a separate piece if you were to send this script to someone say read this you'd say oh pretty simple movie yes and and you might shrug and say i don't know if i would want to see this exactly but then when you see everything the director and the cinematographer and the stunt coordinator had planned and what they were actually going to do with this movie suddenly a simple story becomes something far 
far more than just simply simple and actually something very rich. You know, the, I'm glad you brought this up because one of the things I, I put in my notes for Sisu is it's genius and it's simplicity. And you don't see that anymore. And one of the biggest, no. one of the thing, one of the, my favorite filmmakers of all time, that is a master of this is John Carpenter. Oh yeah. If you look at John Carpenter's movies, simplicity, genius in simplicity, very simple, very simple script, but there's much more being told through the lens. Mm -hmm. There's much more told being told through, through, uh, visuals, music. I'm glad you brought up the music because the music in Sisu is top notch. Yeah. Well, they got, they got the theme for Sisu. Whenever he shows up, it does feel like that moment in like the good, the bad and the ugly when, you know, what is that called? Is it called Gr Gregorian chanting? Yes. The, oh, I love that stuff. And, and when he shows up, it it's so reminiscent of like when Clint Eastwood shows up and you hear the little whistle. Yeah. In, in the good, the bad, the ugly, something like that. And that's genius. Well, if they're doing a spaghetti Western-esque film, you're going to need to have those musical cues. With those musical you're cues. You're going to have to have that. And the movie did have that. Um, uh, one of a movie that I compared this to in my notes when it came to the simplicity, the genius of simplicity mm -hmm. is the thing. When you watch the thing, yeah. if you look at the script of the thing, you you basically go, no, this is this is okay. This is very schlocky. It's uh, that very movie simplistic. is extremely genius. But when it's when you put the visual effects in, when you put the soundtrack in, when you put the the the, the visuals, the, yeah. the, the cinematography in, suddenly that some very simple script becomes a masterpiece. Well, I'll, yes, David. And just to expand on that idea, you are absolutely right. You take John Carpenter's films. Well, let's, let's, um, I guess for a good example would be the apocalypse trilogy. Yeah. Which includes the thing. Yeah. The script is simplistic, but when you actually analyze the finished picture, it's far less simple and it's actually saying something. There you go. Yes. Phenomenal uh, about phenomenology, the phenomenology of the body and how we experience things and the, the lingering fear of the unknown, which makes up the universe itself. It literally leans into cosmic horror and what we cannot see and why those types of things scare us, the elusive. So you're, that's a great comparison because you're absolutely right. That movie actually has tons of depth and this film you know, I, I don't know if it would veer into the philosophical like phenomenology, but I mean, I would I would argue that Sisu is a form of philosophy. The idea oh, of determination, determination and will. Well, I mean, isn't that type of a type of of stoicism almost? Exactly. And that that's the thing when you get down to it. We could you can as a as a mass audience member, right? Going back to one of our other points. As a mass audience member, you look at it very simplistically and say, oh, this was a fantastically done film. Mm -hmm. I love it for its action. But then your critic, the critics in us can actually step in and say, there is so much more being said here that it's probably affecting mass audiences subtly and subliminally. Uh, yeah. But to us, that we can actually pick it out and, and watch if it. If you're looking times, for it. If yeah. you're looking for it. And like... I I have not ran into a film in so long that we can do stuff like this, especially when it crosses the genre of like the West spaghetti westerns. Mm -hmm. 
Um, yes, there have been some really good spaghetti westerns the last, you know, five years. But when you take a look at what Sisu has done, it makes me wish more filmmakers would take the idea of simplicity, genius through simplicity. Well, because oftentimes you have these, it's a plague right now uh, in television and film where you have a lot of writers that really, really want to make something complicated. And I'm okay with complicated plots, but not everyone can do it. But everyone can do the simple. Well, not everyone, but if you're in, <laughs> I was about to say, if you are called a writer and you're writing television or movie, then you better know how to write the simple. And if that's something that's within your wheelhouse, the simple, then don't shun it. Embrace, Embrace it. Embrace it. But the simple doesn't mean it has to be shallow. Mm -hmm. It just means that the script goes from A, B, C. Things are pretty straightforward. But then you use your visuals and, and the sound, all the other filmic elements to contribute and add those, those notes of depth or mm -hmm. the emotional depth or even say something like this movie is absolutely saying, which I might end up writing uh, some type of filmic essay on, on this movie because there's a lot of things that we just can't get into oh, on, no, a, on a traditional 60-minute so review, but there's a lot of things going on that's definitely connected to the idea of a finished specter. You know, I don't want to say a ghost, but just someone that cannot die or has already died, and he's simply just the embodiment of this determination. I think I like your your your... Your one word you use a revenant. A revenant. Yeah. He's a revenant. That yeah. He he's just like the last lingering emotions of the battlefield. And yeah. And in fact, he kind of I mean, I don't want to call him existential because that kind of goes against will and determination. But in a lot of ways, no, I guess you can look at him as a bit existential because existentialism is usually a rallying call for mm -hmm. finding new meaning in your life. Yeah. So possibly will and determination leads to meaning. Meaning. I mean, there's different ways you can look at that. And think about it. You could actually take like the, you can look at it philosophically too and bring in stoicism into it with this type of character. I definitely think that probably works better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is something worthy of note that I feel like we need to bring up. There was a scene in the movie that could be defined as a moment of female empowerment. And the director absolutely got it right. It was not a pandering, I want a pat on the back moment, but a true, powerful, and super cool moment that he actually worked for. Yes. And it was when all of the women that were being raped and abused get their hands on guns <laughs> and they fucking just kill all the Nazis, all the Nazis. in the vicinity. <laughs> it's so good. And when that happened, people were clapping in the theater. Oh yeah. That's the reaction you want as a filmmaker when you make a scene like that. And the reason why I bring this up is because there's a really bad habit today where people try to shoehorn these Oh, female empowerment moments, like, for example, at the end of Endgame, where all the female heroes get together and Captain Marvel says, I got my friends. Yeah. And I'm like, you didn't work for that. Yeah. It, you, it, it's just, it, you just did it. 
This movie worked for it. It built up sympathy. It made you hate those Nazis even more. Oh, absolutely. The, the ladies were just sitting there like women did at that time. What are they going to do when Nazis have guns pointed at them and they're being raped? Well, as soon as they had their moment, they took it. They took it. And I like the fact that it goes into, it made the character of Sisu even more greater because it's that character in a way inspired the women to get to stand up, show the will and determination. Yeah, exactly. It's an extension of Sisu. It's almost like Sisu, I don't want to say he empowered them, but it's almost like- Inspired them. Yes. He inspired them. Or it's like an influence of the Revenant. He exudes this determination and will and- It affects everybody that- Yes. You know, is part of his culture. And- when the women finally stand up, they essentially become like Sisu. Yeah. Why? Because a little more forgiving, <laughs> <laughs> a little too forgiving, but Hey, <laughs> a little, a little more human little than more he human. is, <laughs> which I, but you know what? That actually added something to their story. Yes. Even though most of us would have no problem if they murdered everyone, but the fact that they took the main rapist and he was still alive yeah, and just had him tied to the tank. Yes. And like, yeah, that was such a good, that was a good scene. And like the thing that also you could take a look at that critically and actually thematically say that their empowerment made them even rise above Sisu, who is like, they get more strength now because of like what you said, there's a, just a little bit of more, you know, they only killed the people they had to, it wasn't like they're going to turn into Sisu himself. I call him Sisu. I know that's not his name, but like, you know, like cut someone's throat and breathe through their neck. <laughs> That's the best part of the movie. Oh, it was awesome. That Dude, was awesome. I laughed so hard. So there's this scene that probably is one of my favorite moments. There's two. So let's get into that. Okay. And then we need to close out the show. There's a scene where he needs to escape from the Nazis, the yeah. main character, and he jumps into like a pond. I don't even know if it's a lake necessarily. It might be considered a lake, but it's pretty small. Jumps in there and the main SS commander tells his men to go after him and every man that goes into the lake never comes back (laughs) so it's funny finally they send one guy and they start shooting into the water sizu grabs one of the dead nazis slits his throat no doesn't kill him yet slits his throat and then takes all of his oxygen yes. through, his throat through his throat so that he could stay underwater. And he does this not more than not just once. Because remember, they send the boat out mm-hmm. and then the one guy jumps in. And then suddenly you see the bubbles and then you see blood. Yeah. <laughs> and then the next guy jumps in. Bubbles blood <laughs> and i'm like going they're just sending these poor nazis into the, the water poor nazis come on somewhere down there <laughs> well and my favorite part about that too is like the seminat the cinematography when they get into the water that underwater camera work they did was awesome yeah because the way it's lit you see sisu just come out of the darkness yes <laughs> they did like i forgot what it's called but it's like diffused spotlight through the water itself and they don't bother to light any ambient light. So everything outside of the spot itself is in dark is in complete darkness. And that's where this revenant revenant comes in. Yeah. And it makes them look more supernatural than anything else because like suddenly Sisu comes in, 
grabs someone, slits his throat. You see him start biting him like a vampire. Yeah. And he's essentially getting his, uh, his life energy from him underwater. His life energy. And then like, and then on top of that, the one thing that capped it off mm-hmm. was he gets out. Yeah. And suddenly he takes the dead body of the of the one soldier, mm-hmm. puts him on his back, starts running up the hill. The guy shoots a tank gun at him. <laughs> and Sisu's still running, and you're seeing like the bullets hitting the Nazi on his back. <laughs> and I'm like going, Yeah. He's unstoppable. He's absolutely immortal. Yeah. And that's what that's why I really dug about it. Dude, you like, know what this movie reminded me of? One of my other favorite exploitation films of all time. Let's see if you can guess. It has Clive Owen in it and Paul Giamatti. Shoot him up. Yep. Shoot him up. Yeah. It, it had the exact same flair to it. Same flair as shoot him up. And like the, the over the top action, like when Clive Owen jumps out the <laughs> only the fucking airplane <laughs> and starts shooting, shooting people. Or no, no, when, when Clive Owen takes his hand and puts it in the fire. Yeah. yeah. It had a lot of those bullets. types of moments where you're just like, it's so unbelievable, but so fucking awesome. Oh, yeah. All right. We need to wrap, but, um, yeah, we need to wrap. Yeah, we got to wrap. It's, yeah, it, we're we almost. Go, we could go on and on about how great this movie yeah. is. Viewing experience briefly. I saw it in the theater, as I mentioned. Mm-hmm. I also purchased the 4K Blu-ray. How was that? Amazing looking. It's such a beautiful film. Worthy of purchase. So if you're on the fence about buying the movie, don't rent it. Just buy it. It's one of those movies that are that's definitely worth having in your library of films. And I agree with you with support that, yeah. foreign and indie films. We will possibly get a second film. The filmmaker said if the movie ends up doing well, which it should, he will consider doing a second film. Now the movie grossed a little over 14 million worldwide. So tactically, that's more than enough for this low budget film because the movie's reported budget was about six million. Six million. Now, typically you should make two to 2.5 times your budget and it did surpass that. Yeah. So looking at it like an overall success, I would say we would get a second film. Now, you also have to remember that that 14 million worldwide is based on theatrical distribution. It was a limited and platform release, I believe, in certain markets. So that final dollar amount, when you go to the box office charts, the worldwide box office charts, does not include the windows, the secondary release windows. doesn't yeah. talk about the Blu-ray, the 4K. It doesn't include streaming, which hasn't happened yet. No. Once all that starts happening, suddenly this movie is probably going to make closer to 30 or 40 million. And that at that point, I would say I would definitely expect the the filmmaker to actually get a sequel. Someone's with a six billion dollar budget that with a film that has been praised at by mainstream critics sitting at a ninety four percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. All right. Let's end this show with some last bit of final thoughts here. And then our RMD score. I'm going to give this, you know, I'm going to give it a ninety five percent. 95% on the RMD score. It's a solid foreign film, an amazing spaghetti Western style film. Yeah. I can't complain. How often do we get movies like this? It's been rare. Very seldom. It's been very rare. David, what about you? My score for it, 
I'm giving this a 98. As I said in a the show, 98. In in the beginning of the show, this is my favorite action film in the last five years. Even better than the John Wick series. Yeah. Even better than John Wick, because I love John the John Wick franchise, but my favorite John Wick movies are one and two, and then after that, it just gets redundant. Well, the attention to detail was definitely there for the first one, meaning cinematography. There's yeah. a lot to be said about the John Wick cinematography. Oh, absolutely. It's revolutionary. But when you put it side by side, the anamorphic cinematography of Sisu. <laughs> Sisu. The thing that they were, and here's the thing. John Wick had a much bigger, probably double its budget compared to Sisu. Who had mm, six the, mil. The first one was pretty fucking low. But the, the first one, yeah. yeah. I mean, you could tell the first ones. But now, like with now that we had like, I believe, six John Wick films. No, six. I think I think that many. I think there's four. I think you're right. But like now there, there's two that I haven't seen. Where we're, that where, no one's we're seen. <laughs> where we're at with John Wick, their budget is just it's ballooned. It's the Hollywood expected budget. Yeah. But with Sisu, I give Sisu a lot of credit because they were able to do something that not anybody in Hollywood can pull off, which is a well-thought-out, well-developed, and well-executed action film. Six million dollar action six film. Six million dollars. Under ten. I think we were spot on about our about our thoughts on if this was produced within the Hollywood system, you're, you're looking at probably 30, $40 million. Oh, more so. I'm saying that you if, think it would be even more than that. Yeah. I think if you, they put it in the Hollywood system, you're looking at this film ballooning out to about like 60 to 70. Maybe if you're including star salaries. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know, that a major star would look at this and say, Hey, I want to take a gamble on this much like how I want Keanu back Reeves. end. I want 5 million up front plus <laughs> blowjobs in my trailer. They would want the Keanu Reeves treatment, what Keanu Reeves got from John Wick. Yeah, but, yeah but he's Keanu Reeves, though. Come on. <laughs> yeah. All right, David. So 98 from you, 95 from me. That's a studio 97. Yep. When we're rounding up. All right. That brings us to the end of our discussion. Thank you, David. Thank you. Or said he be taken from such prison to a suitable and convenient place of execution within said county and there be hanged by the neck till he be dead, dead, dead. Now, do you have anything to say, young man? Yes, Your Honor, I do. <clears throat> you can go to hell, hell, hell. <laughs> <laughs>